available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. I don't know why we're in question for him, but it's the 24-7 site that covers USC. And we are the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. Sure, we didn't get a full slate of games in week one. Sure, we waited 10 and a half months for football, but we got some. We got a little taste. It's sort of like you went to the methadone clinic. You didn't quite get your fix on your crank or whatever, but you got a little fix. And now we're going to get get us through to week two. We got six more games scheduled. And as of now, it looks like they're going to be played. But it's Wednesday, so who knows what's going to happen. That's a weird intro, Dave. I don't know why I went there. No, I I, I, I I think I succeeded. I think, I think that's what happened, is that you, my intro was me. so bad. Like, so bad. <laughs> That you were just like, I don't know where to go from here, and I'm just going to go for it. Um, but you're right. We got a little bit of football as a treat. Uh, was it a lot? No. Was it very good? Also, no. But we got some, and that's the important thing. We got a little some, and we're going to get hopefully a little some more this weekend. So what we're going to do today, we got to talk about the games that were canceled. We got to talk about the whole environment. Dave and I had a, a nice little Twitter argument there that some people followed that was pretty fun. Um, so we'll talk about all that kind of stuff, where the games stand as of now. We got to recap all the games that we did see, the four games, and then preview uh, the week two games. So six games on the slate. We'll unveil our power rankings. We got to talk about the suicide pool, where that went, and the, the picks. Dave won again. Dave won week one. Three. He was three and one. I was two and two. Uh, I was looking pretty good. But we'll get into all that kind of stuff. If you want to contact us. Send us an email. we got your questions to get to, too. A lot to get to today, man. It's a busy show. Uh, Pac12podcast at gmail.com. Or you could call or text us at 424-532-0678. Tweet us at Pac12podcast. There was a lot of tweeting over the weekend and back and forth. Uh, at least it was on that Twitter account, even though Dave and I were tweeting from our own personal accounts. The website is Pac12podcast.com. And the Reddit page, I tried to post some stuff there last week. So hopefully you guys can get on podcast of champions and as always subscribe and rate us on apple podcast that really helps us out and i think we do have a new five star on the apple podcasting app now dave we do indeed um it's from dally joe bully bob it's a five star rating uh well it's a podcast uh miss the glory days of jake browning bashing but they do say words into a microphone in a digitally recorded fashion so it's hard to argue that this is not a podcast Five stars. I mean, you know, I, that's that's pretty much my assessment of our show. <laughs> I, too, miss the glory days of the Jake Browning bashing, but I have to acknowledge that this is, in fact, a podcast. We record it over the Internet and play it. It's not live radio. Uh, it's provably, I think, at this point, though I've had my doubts in the past, not like a schizophrenic nightmare I'm having. 
uh, like you are another entity. Um, we've been in a room together. There are photos memorializing this. So I, I, I think it's a podcast. I think it's a recording that we put out on the internet that between, I don't know, two and seven people listen to. Yeah. Well, we do appreciate that review because it was five stars, followed the rules, and it was funny. And it takes little shots at us, which is great. Well, that's what we love. Those are their favorite ones. Five stars, take some shots at us. Absolutely. That's yeah. what we want. More of that. So, Dave, this was a really weird weekend, obviously, uh, and things happened late. So, on Thursday, you find out California, Washington, you know, one of the better games, certainly over the weekend, two of the Pac-12 North contenders was going to be canceled. And that was rough. That was like, oh, really? But then Friday morning, we find out, and this is Friday morning, like we other conferences are announcing these things earlier in the week. The Pac-12 Friday morning, Arizona is getting ready for their road trip to Utah. The equipment truck is already there. They're like getting out of their special teams meeting and getting ready to go onto the plane. And they find out, yeah, that game is canceled too. Utah's got a lot of guys that are positive tests. Apparently, Utah's uh, hit pretty hard with the with the rotor right now. So, two of the six games, one third of the games, Dave, were canceled. It's rough and late in the week, tough too. So, I mean, certainly we previewed them and everything, but they didn't happen. There's obviously no place to make those up unless they're going to use the week seven for that. Um, but man, that's a that was a little bit of a gut punch that you you thought the daily testing, everything would keep the Pac-12 sort of clean for its six or seven week schedule. And that was completely debunked uh, week one. Yeah, and that was the theory, right? When we were talking about the Pac-12 actually having handled this better, we were saying, or at least I was saying that one way that they could show that they handled this better was basically play a clean season, you know, have essentially no cancellations uh, because of this testing program. And I mean, some of it is the the uh, the state of the pandemic versus when all of the other leagues were starting their seasons. You know, things had kind of crested and then dropped down in basically the end part of September and early October. So um, a lot of these leagues were able to get off relatively unblemished. I mean, there were cancellations and postponements, but nothing on the order of losing whatever it was, a third of the games uh, in a particular league in the first week. But if you're if you're looking nationally right now, this is the story basically everywhere. Uh, the SEC uh, this coming weekend is down, I think, four games now of their seven. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's just it's timing. It's unfortunate timing. But the Pac-12 um, starting their season in early November, while well, the state of the, you know, the pandemic is at its worst point since, you know, that middle part of the summer, if not, you know, since April. So I think it's it's somewhat it's just the reality of the situation um, and the testing, no matter how much you test, if there's a certain number of guys who have it and they've been around a certain number of guys who don't have it, you still have to do the contact tracing and everything. Um, the interesting one, the one that's drawing a lot of consternation, I know from Wilner on Twitter is Cal, uh, because apparently it's one guy who maybe had it um, and then. Uh, essentially the city of Berkeley and their public health department is not um, uh, really bothering to even deal with Cal and its own contact tracing or quarantining restrictions or whatever. And Berkeley is basically dictating to Cal what they can and cannot do. Um, so it's making, I think Cal probably feel a little bit frustrated because they have all these protocols in place that aren't, um, you know, necessarily being respected by Berkeley or the public health department, which 
uh, like I get it on like a very basic level, like these football men and their football plans have uh, created this football, you know, way of dealing with COVID. But at the other end, like, again, pandemics at its worst state in many months, um, the city of Berkeley, the public health department in that city and the state at large and the country at large, they have other priorities besides the football men playing their football season. So I, 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 I get it from both angles, but you got to side with the public health here. Unless, of course, you're Ryan Abraham, then I, then you've got to you've got to have some more consternation. I'm very public healthy uh, involved, and 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 you know I like John Wilner. He agrees with me. Here's the thing, and we got we oh, got that was uh, for for the for the LSAT uh, for the ones who are studying the LSAT. That was an appeal to authority. Ryan worked in there, right I there. Was, yes. Yeah. So. He's our authoritative figure on this podcast. Like all yeah, of our and that's, that was from. yeah. This is a justification of the appeal to authority. Yeah. Anyway, not justification. Yeah, no, no, please. please this please. is called a decimation of your argument. So no, 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 no. So this yeah. is a logical so fallacy. There is, this is one. We're doing we're doing fallacy watch right now. in the country that is doing this, and it's Berkeley, and it's unfortunate, and Cal could potentially move. So what happened? Like, Utah makes sense, right? So they had a whole bunch of positive trade. Uh, well, hold on, David. One, like, one, you, one point, one point, one point, one, just one quick point. We don't know that Berkeley is the only one operating this way because Cal's is the one that's in this kind of minor gray area. If Utah's were in that minor gray area, we could do a like-to-like analysis as to what's going on, but they're not. They've got multiple positive cases. So we don't know that Berkeley is necessarily being much stricter than everyone else. All we know is that Cal's outbreak is in that gray area where it could go one way or the other. Well, we do know that, you know, Clemson had not only a positive case, but they had a player. Are you on comparing, the road. are you comparing what's going on in California I'm telling you that to what's you, going on in South no, Carolina? You're saying you can't compare what Berkeley's doing. I'm saying I'm there saying are within many the other places within the where, footprint, within, within the, the footprint. footprint. Okay. We don't within, know within the, footprint. within the footprint, my good man, I'm talking about nationally where there's college football has been played for months now. We saw Trevor Lawrence not only travel to South Bend, was on the freaking sidelines wearing a mask. Like that is, it shouldn't if even be all, the same sport if, if all of your friends, as what Berkeley's trying to do. If, if all of your college football team friends were to jump off a bridge, Ryan, would your college football team then be required to jump off that bridge? If every college football team did and the one didn't, then I would say, why is that team not jumping off the bridge? Like it's probably fun. There's water down below. That explains a lot. Honestly, that yeah. explains a ton about you. Yeah. I mean, I like jumping. I like jumping off things. Well, especially uh, when all your friends are doing it. Definitely when all my friends are doing it. They're getting paid a lot of money to do it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to do it because, well, here's the thing. So for Utah, like I said, makes You're sense. You're not going to, no, no, follow that to its logical finish of that statement. I'm not going to do that because it's significantly less safe than what I could be doing. No, that would be the, that would be the finish of that sentence. Just anyway, continue, please, please. If please. everybody's doing it, it seems pretty safe, right? So everybody doing it is why cases have risen from an average of like thirty thousand. College football cases is not why cases ago. have risen. College no, no, football no, no, but it's why. But everyone just doing whatever the hell they want, and well, everyone deciding. We're not talking to about everyone doing everyone. it. We're talking about no, college but, football. But, but football, but college, the college football right, season David, let is me get everybody. My thing here. Is you everybody writ small? You got your monologue, <laughs> so let me talk about my thing. So Utah makes sense to me sure. because there was multiple cases, and you're going to drop below thresholds. And okay, you got a whole bunch of guys that tested positive on the team. That's on you. You know, like they're doing daily testing. There's something that, you know, was it Halloween weekend, whatever it was. 
The problem, and this is, you know, Cal's not releasing this. This is according to multiple sources. John Wilner reported it. Cal Bonagora reported it. There was one defensive lineman who tested positive, was asymptomatic, and is quarantined. And uh, according to the reports I read today from Wilner and, and Kyle, and they, they were all going through this stuff, essentially what the city said was, okay, we're not even looking at, they didn't know how, what kind of contact that that player had with the other people. They basically said anyone that hit the position he plays with, they're going to go to quarantine for two weeks. It was just, it was a, just, there was no flexibility there. They didn't go through and look at all of the protocols that Cal had put in. And that's the whole point. Like if you can't, if you have to, if, if someone on your team catches it and a whole bunch of people go into quarantine just because that's the way you got to do it, then there really isn't a point of playing college football. And I, I know that's what you say, and that's fine, but you've made the decision to go forward. The Pac-12, I think, failed by not having their own protocols. So I think that's part of, of the issue here is that they're allowing the local health yeah. officials to make, the, and, and Berkeley has been the most strict, at least that we've seen. Um, we haven't seen anything like that. And I thought John Wilner asked a really good question to the Berkeley health official. If I'm in contact with someone and you put me in quarantine and I get tested every day for 13 days and I'm negative every single day, do I have to be quarantined the 14th day? And they're like, yes. And it's obviously just an arbitrary number, but he did. And I think I talked about this a little bit when you were not on the show, it was a solo show. The, the point of the cheap antigen test is it's not going to be as sensitive as the PCR test. It's quicker, but the, the, when the virus is being transmitted, it's in that range of when the, the antigen test is going to show positive or negative. So as the viral load grows up, right in the very beginning, if you get a PCR test, that'll be positive where the very beginning, the antigen test might be negative. But according to the graphics that, you know, John Wilner tweeting out and what I've seen with the CVC, it's, you know, it's more of the virus can't be transmitted quite yet. But by the time the antigen test would click over and say, okay, you have enough viral load that it will show positive. Now you can be a transmitter. So testing that daily is what the, the whole point was. You're supposed to be able to reduce or even eliminate contact tracing. And what the city of Berkeley is doing is not basically just putting it like, you're just like Joe Blow in his house. You test pot, like you test positive. Everyone in your house got to go into quarantine instead of taking to account, like, Here's all the, the procedures we put into place, why you wouldn't have to do that. So I, I want the health, I want, I don't want the college football to be played and endanger the general public. And I feel like all of the testing and everything that's been done was doing a good job of trying to prevent that as much as they could while you're taking some risk by playing college football. Yeah. So, so I just I, felt I that Berkeley's nothing, being way too strict. Nothing you're saying is wrong except for that last point. And I think the the important thing to remember is that they have a different set of priorities. And I would also there 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 are unknowns still here. What is the relationship between the Berkeley Public Health Department and the football program or Cal generally? Um, do they think? And here's one of my complications with all of this stuff at the NFL level, at the MLB level, at NBA less so, but at college football as well. These programs are often not honest about friggin' anything related to injuries, people being out, so on and so forth. We didn't find out until after the game that Washington State was down 32 guys because of, most likely, quarantine, contact tracing, etc. What, for my money, what the Ber Berkeley Public Health Department might be thinking is, well, 
we're not going to take your word for it. We're not going to take your word for it on these positive tests, these tests that we are not personally administering. Um, we're going to have to obey our own protocols. And maybe that's a distinct difference between that public health department and the Salt Lake City one or the Los Angeles one and so on and so forth. But I wouldn't be shocked if that's part of what's going on here. And then the second thing is they're not uh, college football is very important to us and it's very important to people watching it. And it's very important to these programs. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not very important. Um, and it's certainly not very important to, you know, the broad citizenry of the different states. Um, so they have a different set of priorities. And I get all that. And then I get what you're saying about the testing that it was in intended to do a better job of preventing uh, the, just this sort of situation from happening. Uh, but does it do a perfect job? No, it probably doesn't. And if it, all things being equal, I mean, I, I don't think the public health department of Berkeley or wherever, uh, why allow a college football season to go on or why allow this particular game to happen? Uh, what is their incentive to do so? If there is additional risk in playing that game, if there is additional risk in continuing forward when they know that there is at least one positive case on that team, um, I, I, I get that you think they're being too strict, but I don't think there is a um, a great argument for that. Um, like relative, I mean, relative to other college football like entities, yes. So like the Tuscaloosa Public Health Department, if there is such a thing. Um, maybe they, maybe, maybe Berkeley is being, uh, more strict than that, but that's not their, that's not what they're trying to judge relative to. They're judging relative to the public health department of Stanislaus and, you know, Richmond or whatever. Um, so they have to kind of follow along with what everyone else is doing in yeah. their actual jurisdiction. So I, I get it. Like I get that, you know, uh, from a Cal perspective, from a PAC 12 perspective, they feel like we've done a lot. I would say the one missing piece here, and this is something we called out at the beginning, there was a real lack of kind of building the the groundwork of having a great relationship with, I think, the states and and the uh, different public health agencies in these um, districts, because, you know, I think the Pac-12 was really late to understanding that, oh, wow, we might actually have a season, so we need to get going on this. Um, we, we called that out at the beginning, and this might be the, the fruit being born of that, you know, if... There had been a little bit more groundwork laid and they could have like worked with the public health departments in all these different areas a little bit more stringently. Maybe you wouldn't be having this issue right now. Yeah. Um, so I think that could have played a role. I think there's a lot of different things that could be playing a role right now. Um, but end result is, I mean, things are, again, getting worse in the state of the pandemic crap. And I think it's bearing some ugly fruit in the Pac-12 because we not only had the game cancellations, as I mentioned, Washington State was down 32 guys in a victory. And Stanford was down its quarterback. Um, so there, there's some very real things happening across the board. And there's probably going to be at least, I would guess, one or two more cancellations this weekend for the Pac-12, maybe more. Um, so obviously a precarious situation here at the start of the season. I would think, too, just we don't know the numbers, but like with Stanford having Davis Mills out, um, they still played the game. I think if it was the city of Berkeley, they probably wouldn't have allow any Stanford quarterback to play. They would have probably had to go into quarantine, I would think. So I even mean, in the yeah. Bay Area, it seems a little different. Yeah, probably. I mean, and I'm sure that's a little bit different. And maybe that's, again, a situation. Like, what I would be looking at is, what is Cal's relationship with its city uh, public health department? Because that seems like maybe the biggest issue here. 
because it does seem different from everyone else. And I think it's it's easy to seize upon from a certain perspective. Oh, Berkeley being all, you know, whatever, COVID conscious or whatever because of the name Berkeley. But it might simply be that they don't very they don't have a great relationship with the university and this is kind of playing out, you know, in a certain weird way right now. Because yeah. it doesn't seem like that's happening at Stanford, right? Jack West was able to start that game and play. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, I mean, so it could be different. Again, though, I would look at what ends up happening with Utah. Um, what ends up happening, you know, are they going to be able to play? Because if they're not, then that means they're going through a pretty stringent quarantine process themselves. Um, so I think they're... I, I don't know. It's it's going to be a very strange year. We've been saying that from the beginning. Um, and I think it's going to be an extremely strange November um, because <laughs> just timing, the Pac-12 is opening up at just about the worst time to be opening up a football season. Yeah, no, I think you're right. The timing didn't work out. Uh, starting earlier was better because the, the whole coronavirus situation was just better. Now it's getting worse when you're trying to start. But Wilner's question I thought was interesting. And, you know, if you're just talking to anybody and you know you're, you're trying to be like oh let's try to be reasonable like okay well you wanted 100 uh, here's 98 can you oh, okay that's fine let's do it so when he's like 13 days in a row 13 negative tests do i have to quarantine day 14 yep like it's it was so um there was just no flexibility there and it i i wonder like what your point was what is their relationship like is like was that health board like pissed off from the beginning that football was even going to be played and w- would look for any way possible to try to shut it down. Maybe, I don't know. Like it's, it's hard to say, but that just seems such an inflexible answer. The Bay area specifically has done, I think, um, I, I think there's maybe some local pride in how they've dealt with this because I think just generally speaking, the Bay area relative to population is probably one of the better places in the world from, you know, or at least from the United States. Um, from like a case and, and death standpoint. Um, so there might be some of that going on. I would say it's a lot of the local relationship, though. Um, and there might be some of that local politics. I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, there's a little bit of why are, why are these idiots even trying to play a football season? This is stupid, um, which, <clears throat> frankly, is opinion I echo. Um, but <laughs> it's but I like I, I, I sort of I, I would understand if they feel that way. Um, but I think that speaks to, again, Maybe some lack of groundwork that was laid from the Pac-12. Maybe some lack of relationship from Cal um, with their public health department that's maybe playing a role in this. Um, end of the day, though, this is a very minor key note. And I think the end result is a lot more games are going to be canceled for a lot more cases than this. Um, so it's it's kind of a it's an interesting little you know footnote to start the year on. But I don't think this is going to be the story we're talking about in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be... Oh wow, Utah can only play two games this season. Or oh wow, nobody's playing anymore. Oh wow, they had to cancel every single game this weekend. Um, like I think that's more, and I hope not, but I think that's more the the trend line we're on. Yeah, it you know, and we've talked about this. It's like if you're going to make the decision to play, I I don't think you can expect teams to be perfect. You know, and you want them to be. A, I, and I think they're. It seems like a lot of teams are trying to be as diligent as they possibly can. You know, and um, for the most yeah, part, I, I, I give them, I, I give them a lot of credit so far. I think most of them are being pretty diligent. I thought it was very weird that Washington state didn't announce their, um, yeah. out their people out until after the game. But I think for the most part, 
it's all it's all talk and stuff, but the talk matters from leaders, and it seems like all of the coaches are very much taking this seriously. That Kyle Whittingham, when he was talking about it, there wasn't a note of, oh, this isn't a serious deal. I wish these guys could be back out there. I mean, he was acknowledging the seriousness of it. Um, yeah. I think they've all done a conscientious effort. I think they've done the best they can. I think the reality is the Western states generally are dealing with this more um, – seriously, stringently, whatever you want to call it, than a lot of other states, uh, particularly in the South, which is where most of the football has been happening so far. Um, so there's just a, there's a reality to the, the geography you're in. Um, and that reality of the political geography is that there's going to be more postponements and cancellations because um, the policies and, and whatnot are going to be more strict. Um, yeah. But I mean, we're, the SEC are, canceling four of seven games, like, that yeah, makes it that national. Was, that yeah, makes it's it a national thing. It's not a and Ohio State. Ohio State had to cancel this weekend as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. I mean, and the Big Ten, I think, is in a somewhat similar boat. I mean, Wisconsin having to cancel, I think, their first two games. Um, there's just – it's uh, – I, I think the Big Ten timed it a little bit better because they started a couple weeks earlier. But anybody who started in late October, early November, I would be shocked if many of those teams are getting six games in. Yeah. Well, so for this weekend, as of today, we're recording on Wednesday. Um, John Wilner reported, he said he got off the phone with Pac-12 Chief of Football Operations, Merton Hanks. And the quote we got, this was earlier on Wednesday. As of right now, we're on, we're on track to play all six games. But as you know, everything is subject to change at any time. So I don't know how much that helps. But as of now, that's the case. I know Cal, was they were trying to figure some things out. Could they potentially move utah had got some guys out of quarantine and and seemed to have the numbers now but obviously things could still get worse other guys could test positive um i don't know who do you think's at more at risk to losing the game this weekend cal or, or utah um i i think the cal thing is is more it seems like that's more of a political problem which i think is more solvable like i think that might be Utah's problem seems more like, and this is just reading the tea leaves. Utah's problem seems more like numbers. Like yes. if they truly Agreed, yeah. have two more cases, they might be done. Uh, Cal's seems more like it's something that might be solved with three conversations, long, argue, arduous conversations, but conversations. Um, so I would say Cal has more of a likelihood of playing this weekend. I think Utah, it's just going to be, you know, cross your fingers and hope no one else gets it. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I just don't Utah's the state situation isn't great right now. So I, it's a hard thing to to count on. So that not just screwed up, you know, a third of the schedule uh, for week one. It also did a little bit of a number on our uh, suicide pool, the, the survival pool, because I thought people were tweeting to me. And I'm like, yeah, if you know, we probably just give you a pass if you picked a game that was canceled. But. Uh, Matthew pointed out to us over email, so I had to tweet it out and let everyone know, hey, in the rules were if a game gets canceled, you have to go back into the spreadsheet and resubmit your pick. So thanks, Matthew, for tabulating all of those. Um, so I went and did that. I don't think you you got a chance to redo yours, Dave. So No, I, I, I'm out. I got done. I got you are done. Out. You are out. Um, but okay, so there were 122 entries in the pool. Only 26 survived week one. And we knew it would be tougher because there's two games to pick. Um, so there were 
72 people picked Oregon, so they moved on. 36 people, well, they have potential to move on. 36 picked USC, eight picked Washington State. Wow, that's impressive. And eight picked Colorado. Uh, of the losers, 50 had UCLA. So a lot of people had UCLA. They lost. Uh, 38 people had Oregon State. They lost. Um, three had Arizona State. They lost, and they probably shouldn't have. And two had Stanford. That's a weird one. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, 25 people had Utah. Someone had Washington. Someone had Cal in the canceled games, and they didn't redo their picks. So uh, they're out. So the result is two people. I mean, two, uh, 26 people had both two wins. 50 had a win and a loss. 19 people had two losses. And the rest were people that had a, a cancellation or whatever. So, um, yeah, only 26 people survived, but I was one of them. I did pick Oregon, and uh, I switched from uh, – who do I have? Utah, I think, originally. You know, I switched from Utah to USC. Right. Well, very exciting for you. Yay. But thanks, uh, Matthew, for compiling uh, all of that. So that's uh, good stuff. Before we uh, jump into our Game 1 uh, recaps and previews, I want to thank my bookie – tell you about a little bit. So late college football, the NBA bubble, UFC fight island. It's clear 2020 has been a year unlike any other, which is why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. Get some skin of the game with my bookie where odds, boosts, lightning, deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, I love Turkey Day, Dave. There's really no better time to feast on some NFL action, whether you're a first-time customer, if you've been playing with my bookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every single week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a full-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all of the classic table, slot, and card games you expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close. So you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code PAC12 to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in 200 they match you with another 100 in your account. If you're already planning to bet this season, this is betting with free money. It's a winning, it's winning season at MyBookie. So come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. All right. Thanks to MyBookie. And uh, we got we to gotta get into our... 12 roundup. When's the last time we played that, Dave? Uh, I think during our previous session. It's been a while. It's been, I don't even know if we did during the, uh, we the did round. it. There was some point. It might have been following recruiting. We've, we've done it in the we've last done. six months, I think. And I almost like forgot about it, but it is there. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go, we've redid our power rankings. They got shaken up a little bit. And we will go in reverse order uh, and talk about each team along the way. So first up, we have UCLA Bruins. They were on the road taking on Colorado Buffalo. Um, sorry, I just had to clear some air. Uh, UCLA uh, lost to Colorado 48-42. Which is both a deceptive and proper score for the game. Um, deceptive in that Colorado at one point had a 35-7 to lead. Uh, properly reflective because when you boil out the turnovers that were kind of ridiculous 
for UCLA. It was a relatively even game. So I think it kind of shook out properly in the end. Um, UCLA is terrible. Uh, Colorado, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I think you've got to give Colorado some credit. I think they had a really good game plan. I think Jarek Broussard is a stud. Sam Neuer really impressed me because the last time I saw him throwing, I didn't think he should ever again throw a football. Um, but this game, um, you know, there were still some wobblers, still some inaccuracy, but he made some throws when he needed to, particularly in the seam. Uh, he was pretty confident throwing uh, over the middle, um, which I would be too. Um, I mean, literally, I would be too um, against UCLA's secondary. Um, but Neuer did a pretty good job doing it. Um it was very funny. It was a very funny game. I, I think that shouldn't be discounted. Uh, UCLA had, like, I think, four turnovers in like basically the first 20 minutes of the game, um, including a punt return fumble, um, an interception from Dwayne Thompson Robinson where he was throwing like a hitch and threw it directly into the arms of an outside linebacker, um, a fumble by Dorian Thompson Robinson um, on some sort of zone read fake handoff type deal, and then a fumble by Demetric Felton. Um, and all of that, to uh, eventually lead Carl Durrell to a victory over UCLA. That's all funny. Like, that's objectively funny, and I think we all need to sit here and acknowledge that. Um, yeah, UCLA, so there was a lot of talk in the offseason that the defense would be um, a better, more aggressive unit, and that showed up for about a series um, in this game, and then uh, the defense was pretty pretty terrible after that. Um they couldn't stop Colorado's rushing attack. Um, Broussard was just knifing off the edge for like 10 yards a pop uh, for a long stretch of this game. Um, the defense looked misaligned. It looked like they were confused. Um, some of that was certainly Colorado. Um, I'm going to give them credit, but um, I think a lot of it was just clearly UCLA was um, – I, I my, my read on it was they were caught between um, maybe in a too-many-cook situation where – they have the new guy coming in, Brian Norwood, who's installing his 4-2-5. And they still have the old kind of guard, uh, Jerry Azanaro and, and so on, um, in the leadership roles calling the game. And so you saw this kind of mismarried, um, you know, aggression at the beginning, followed by a lot of passive defense. Um, and then offensively, uh, it was a just a load of turnovers. And then, you know, UCLA got it going. A, UCLA got it going a little bit after that, but it was still, um, you know, not nearly enough. So Colorado, um, I think hard to say whether they're going to be great this year or good or even average, uh, but UCLA, they're going to be bad. You think they're going to be bad. All right. Well, UCLA, I, UCLA. I think they're going to be bad because they're going to be, they're going to be bad. Like there's would, a chance if, if Utah, if Utah is not down to like the walk-ons, like Kyle Whittingham was saying, they're going to lose this weekend. And then, I don't know, man. I mean, Arizona, we haven't seen them yet, but this is this smells like one and five at best to me. And so this was a this was a bit of a shocker to me. You actually got this one right. You picked Colorado. I took UCLA. Uh, and I, I'm sorry I didn't announce where they were. UCLA is number 12 in our power rankings. We have Colorado up at number eight now. Um, sometimes when you watch these with our bet, our picks, and we talk about this a lot, like you just kind of know when you see the beginning of the game, you're like, this ain't going my way, you know, like this or whatever way, way oh, I yeah. picked. So UCLA gets an initial stop. You're like, oh, that's good. Oh, then they fumble the punt return. Okay. And then Colorado gets the ball to 25 and they score a touchdown three plays later. Then DTR throws a pick, sets up the second touchdown. So they get two touchdowns in about uh, two minutes and it's 14 nothing already. You're like, 
really UCLA? This is how you're going to come out? Like you get a stop. I mean, you get the ball back and you kick a field goal or something. Like it's a whole different game, but you turn it over, you turn it over again. And you know what, like you said, it was 35, seven. Um, you know, it's like at that point, what are you going to do? Like, was it going to be a Washington state type of comeback? I was hoping, but it, you know, they end up falling short. So uh, Colorado had almost 40 minutes time of possession in this game. Uh, 92 plays. They ran 21 points off turnovers for Colorado. So yeah, those four giveaways early when it was 35 to seven really kind of sunk uh, UCLA's boat. But I, I was really impressed with Colorado. I picked them to go winless again. So you guys can thank me, all the Colorado fans, because obviously that's not going to happen. Um, the buffs. Yeah. I mean, I, my theory going into this was with Carl Durrell, no spring practices, things were, you know, they, they lose guys like Chenault and Tony Brown and Steven Montez and all those guys. It was going to be a problem, but they had a lot of guys coming back on defense. And I think they, they played pretty well, you know, and um, there was some continuity there with the coaching staff and Carl Durrell got it. He have to get some credit for being able to get this team prepared in a short time and look pretty good. Uh, you know, was it weird for UCLA to go on the road for in the early of the pandemic? Maybe, I don't know. And it doesn't seem to, it, it oh, didn't bother. It did, Washington, it did bother Washington state too much when they had to go on the road, but this just looked like it looked like one the Colorado team was one that had all the continuity and the UCLA team had just like put the band together like two weeks ago and we're trying to figure things out. Well, and that's the big thing is that it's year three for Chip Kelly. It's uh, year three for Dorian Thompson Robinson. And it still looks like this. Like this is what it looks like. Um, no, I mean, and this is I'm not trying to knock Colorado and I understand that this is going to come off this way, but I, I don't I, I don't mean it um, in like a super negative way. But this is a rebuilding Colorado team that was playing a, a guy who, who was in the safety room last year at quarterback and their second or third string running back um, who was out all of last year with an ACL. And I mean, it was nearing a blowout for long periods of this game. Um, UCLA in, in year three under Chip Kelly. Uh, charitably, you, say, you would say they played an even game against a Colorado team that's rebuilding that was playing a guy who played safety last year at quarterback. Like, that's what you're saying, is that yeah. in year three, that's what Chip Kelly's team is capable of playing. Yeah, more or less an even game if you throw out the turnovers. That's crazy. I mean, that's that's a failure in the job. That's This story's written. It's just a question of how long it's going to go on now at this point. But it, you can't be in year three doing that kind of stuff. Not at UCLA, where... The one advantage of being at UCLA is that you can actually recruit at a pretty high level, and you're not even doing that. And it's clear now that the team is not particularly talented. Like we saw it in the two four seven composite thing, the the you know team talent composite or whatever it's called. Um, UCLA is like sixth in the league, and that's what that looked like. Like it's not like they're playing above their weight. That's that's exactly what they looked like on Saturday. They yeah. looked like a team that's middling um, talent wise. So. It's a miserable failure. Um, it's going to end at some point. Now it's just a question of when. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We moved Colorado up a little bit, uh, but are they good or is it UCLA that bad or is what combination? I think, I mean, Colorado is clearly better than UCLA. Yes. Um, and the question is whether they're going to be better than, you know, Arizona and maybe playable with ASU and, and, and Utah. Yeah. Um, that's going to be the question where they stack in the hierarchy, but I think they've made a definitive case that they are better than UCLA. 
Well, speaking of, uh, our number 11 team is Arizona Wildcats. And uh, you know what we need? We need a drop. So anyone out there, can we get a like COVID canceled, like just audio (laughs) drop? And so I'll press that. So I I guess we could just record what I just said. COVID canceled. COVID canceled. Ooh, I like that. Let me mark down what uh, when that was. Um, We're like at a 39 minute. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll, I'll just use that. Um, there you go. but as you know, uh, this was canceled. So we didn't get to see, uh, Arizona. We didn't get to see what Paul Rhodes and that defense were going to look like running that three, four, even though you don't have any linebackers. So we don't know. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so no Arizona. So we'll, uh, we'll preview their game coming up. So, uh, our number 10 team. Man, this really disappointed me, David. Oregon State Beavers. We had high hopes for Angie and the Beavs, and they they were hosting the now number seven team. Washington State Cougars. Oh, wait. Hold on. Washington State Cougars. That's the one I wanted. I I did the wrong one. Um, What do you think, Dave? So Washington State won 38-28. This one started off, I mean, it was more or less a, I don't know, looked like it was going to be a defensive struggle, which would have been shocking for these two teams. Um, But it was punt, 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 punt. Um, Tristan Jebbia started off kind of slow for Oregon State. Um, And I think, you know, that offense got going a little bit more in the second half, but it was slow going at the beginning. But Washington State really didn't pounce at that point. Um, I was pretty impressed with uh, Jaden Delora, um, you know, for a guy in his first college game, essentially. Um, I thought he played really well. I thought the offense for Washington State after, again, that first little stretch where it was a little slow going, um, you know, for, for first year, essentially, and, and not having much of a spring or, you know, kind of and not having apparently 32 guys available for the game. Um, it looked OK. Looked all right. Um, you know, not quite, you know, Mike Leach, you know being able to just fire on all cylinders from game one, but uh, certainly pretty close to that. Um, and I thought Oregon State, after that first stretch, I thought they looked pretty good too. It looked like a pretty even game to me. Um, and ultimately just, they, you know, I, I think Washington State just got it going a little bit quicker um, at the beginning of the game. So I uh, would have liked to see more out of that Oregon State defense, um, you know, because we were talking them up quite a bit and they did give up, uh, you know, over, 450 yards and even amounts of rushing and passing, which isn't great. You know, you give 230 yards on the ground. That's not awesome. Um, but I, I thought it was overall a relatively even game. It's just kind of Washington State got it going a little bit earlier than Oregon State and forced them in a position where they couldn't be as balanced. It was just a, a weird one. And I, I expected so much from so this is the other game that surprised me because I really felt like Washington State coming in. What did what were they doing? Did they uh have any spring practices? No. Do you got a brand new head coach? Yeah. Are you starting a true freshman quarterback coming in from Hawaii? Yep. Do you have your your top running back, Max Borgie, in there? Nope. Plus, all the other guys out, we didn't even know that they were going to be out. Like, on paper, what the hell happened here? And, and you look at some of the stats, like the yards were about the same. Oregon State had 29 first downs to Washington State's 21. They didn't throw an interception. They didn't fumble the ball. The time of possession was about the same. There wasn't a lot, you know, they had less penalties. They were better on third down. It's like, how did Warriors lose this game? But it seemed to like the good play, like if you needed a play, 
the freshman quarterback for Washington State did it. You know, I mean, he he wasn't super efficient. What eighteen to thirty three? He had uh, two touchdowns and a pick. But you know, he ran the ball when he had to. He had forty three yards on the ground. Uh, I think a couple of those were sacks. I think he had actually had more than that. Um, you know, they had uh, Dion McIntosh. You know, rushed for one hundred and forty seven yards in the game. I mean, he he was effective. Uh, Travell Harris had over 100 yards receiving. Like, it just was like, I don't know. Washington State came out and played like they had been around a while. Like, this didn't look like one team that everything was brand no, new. definitely not. And yeah. one team had three years of everybody. You know, and you're you think are on a positive trajectory. So this is a this one disappointed. Like, this was a disappointing one for the Beavers. They they scored you know 14 in the fourth quarter to make it a little closer, but. Washington State was in control of this game uh, most of the way, so I, yeah, this that one and the and you know the Colorado UCLA game just kind of you know surprised me that both of those schools with brand new head coaches, brand new quarterbacks uh, were able to come out and play teams that you know had more experience that you thought might be on the rise, maybe not as much UCLA, um, and they couldn't do it, and uh, I don't know, it was uh, I was disappointed. Sorry, sorry, Angie, sorry. Beaver fans, but man, that I really had some faith that Oregon State was gonna to win this game. I still have some faith in Oregon State, as you know. I am a longtime Oregon State fan, um, super fan, you might say. So I, I think they're gonna rebound just fine. All right. Well, you picked them to uh, only win one game, and that was it. So don't worry about a, it. <laughs> I picked them to beat Stanford at the end of the season. We'll see. But yeah, we uh, we had some optimism for the Beavs and. Uh, yeah, that didn't uh, happen. Okay, so next up we have this is our number nine team, Stanford Cardinal, and they went on the road to take on our number one team, Oregon Ducks. That uh, noise you heard was Jet Toner once again missing a field goal. Um, <laughs> So this is, uh, yeah, Oregon won 35-14. It wasn't just the Jet Toner missed field goals, although there were many that caused this loss for Stanford. Um, the decision-making, I would think, that leads to, what was it? Was it four missed field goals? I believe four of them, yeah. Yeah, four missed field goals. I mean, that <laughs> it's a 21-point deficit, but that is 12 points, if my math is correct. That would have um, factored into this loss. And given them 26 against Oregon's 35, which suddenly makes this a much more even game. They would have covered um, the spread. Yeah. Yeah. But the decisions that, you know, lead you to making uh, or attempting four different field goals at different points, um, certainly those fall on other entities besides um, uh, poor, poor Jet Toner. How, how um, David Shaw is that? Like, pretty oh, good. it's so David Shaw. To be in a position to miss four field goals in a game, that's, that's truly incredible. Um, okay. So. Stanford, I thought, to open this game, um, I thought they were kind of doing everything they needed to do besides, again, missing field goals. But, I mean, they were holding on to the ball. They looked – you could kind of squint and see vintage Stanford in those first two drives especially um, where they were just kind of running the ball, eating some clock, um, and, you know, keeping that defense on the field. Um, and I thought they looked pretty good, and that was – Pretty much the last of looking good that Stanford had. Um, I thought Oregon then started to exert its will, especially on the re- on the ground, um, you know, kind of running at that defense. And uh, again, those missed field goals were just devastating. Um, every single one of them, because it wouldn't like it's not even just that it's, you know, 12 points. It's like that first one they make that it's a 10 point game instead of a seven nothing game. 
They make the second one. It's, you know, it would have been 13-7 if they'd made those first two. I mean, it's just at any point it might have changed the way the game would have been called by both staffs. So, I mean, it's obviously it's not, you know, seven field goals that would have made the difference. But, man, missed field goals, man. They'll kill you. They'll kill you if you're running a very conservative offense. And that's what uh, Stanford was doing. Oh, by the way, we did get the Oregon State game wrong. Both of us picked uh, Oregon State. That didn't happen. We got this one right. We both took Oregon uh, laying 11 points. Oh, wait. Hang on. I got to shout out my man, Jack West, because he was not the worst quarterback of all time in this game. And the last time he played against UCLA, um, we'll just say it was close um, to being that quality. So he's improved since then. He did. You know, and you know, no Davis Mills. We found out about that and a couple other guys missed this one. So you knew this was going to be a tough road trip, uh, but turnovers um, from Oregon early on kind of kept, I thought kept Stanford in the game early, uh, but you know, then Oregon got it ro- rolling. So seven of Oregon's nine drives reached the red zone for Stanford. So that's not good. They really weren't stopping Oregon all that much. Uh, they score Oregon scored on every drive in the second half. And on their final uh, five drives, and four of those final five were uh, touchdowns. So it was, you know, it was close for a while, and then Oregon just sort of like opened it up and uh, and put a beat down on Stanford. So it was rough. Uh, you know, not the best showing for for David Shaw. Obviously, you feel bad for a guy like Jet Toner. Um, you know, missing all those field goals and stuff. But yeah, I don't know, Dave. This was. Uh, this was kind of expect like this one went sort of the way I thought, maybe not in the beginning, but you know, over a 60 minute game, you thought, okay, Oregon's going to yeah, eventually Oregon, take care of this. Oregon not being super sharp made total sense. Um, like it was it, almost exactly what I would have expected, you know, Stanford, maybe a little bit. I mean, if I, if Davis Mills had been playing, I think that would have been interesting. Maybe this game would have been competitive with all the kind of, you know, early issues, rusty issues that Oregon was having. Um, but with Jack Weston there, obviously that kind of limits the potential. Yeah. All right. So that was our number, uh, nine team, our number eight team. We already talked about Colorado number 17, where I talked about, uh, Washington state, our number six team, Utah Utes. You gonna do it. Uh, COVID canceled. Nice. Yeah. So. Supposed to play Arizona. That was, uh, that did not, uh, did not happen. And yeah, so we got to move on. Uh, okay. So then our, uh, our number five team we have California Golden Bears. COVID canceled. Two? Crap. Oh, that was going to be a good one, too, because they were going to take on, uh, the number four Washington Huskies. <laughs> COVID canceled. Nice. <laughs> that really was a bummer. Like we wanted to watch Oregon State and Washington State for sure, but we probably have been watching more of Cal Washington, right? Yeah, I mean, they're. Yeah, they're I think they were on the same time, um, unless the Cal Washington was earlier. But I, w- no, no, it was w- the same time. Same time, yeah. Um, just a bummer, you know. Just a bummer that we didn't get to see this game. So, I know Washington said uh, if they were in Cal situation, they're. You know, uh, Jimmy Lake said that they would have been able to play like they don't, wouldn't have to quarantine a whole position group. They they apparently have a better relationship with the local health officials than 
think Cal in the city of Berkeley does, but so maybe that's a little, I felt like Jimmy Lake was just sort of rubbing salt in the wounds. Like, Hey, if that was us, we'd be playing. Right. But all right. Uh, and this team actually moved up a little bit. David uh, suggested uh, a number three team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> it was, they were in a heartbreaker uh, in the Coliseum against number two. USC Trojans. So I have two thoughts. I've got like several thoughts about this game. Okay, so USC ended up winning 28-27. Ryan was right in Clay Helton's obituary, like midway fourth quarter uh, before the stirring comeback when it was like 27-14, I think. You were like, oh, man, this is this is brutal uh, for, for our man Clay. What would you tweet out? You tweeted out something. I don't remember I, exactly. I had, but to, I, don't, I had to defend my boy against I don't, you. Uh, I don't think – I mean, I'm pretty much beyond the point of saying – I don't think he's going to be fired this year no matter what because I think it, you have to wait until 2021. But, um, yeah, no, there was uh, – this was brutal. It was a brutal – a brutal showing uh, for the Trojans at home. So, oh, I found your tweet. So many problems for this USC football team. One of them is the Trojans essentially having two decent opponents on their schedule and is about to lose to one of them. So that was at 27-14. And then USC um, obviously had the crazy, you know, fourth down touchdown pass to Brew McCoy, um, followed by the onside kick recovery, and then the touchdown uh, to Drake London. Um, but the thing was... Looking at this game, I mean, USC was a circus of disaster, but they were moving the ball on ASU basically the whole time. It was one turnover on downs, uh, the ASU 46 on fourth and one. Uh, They had an interception um, after getting a turnover of their own at the ASU 24. Uh, They had another turnover on downs at the ASU 6. Uh, they had another fumble at the ASU 31. Like, there were so many opportunities where they got it onto the ASU side of the field where they should have at least walked away with three points, where they just shot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. That it checking out at the end that they actually were able to finally just get out of their own way and score a couple of easy touchdowns, it didn't, it doesn't shock me that they were able to do that because they just spent the entire game just shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, looking at the statistics at the end of the day, this should have been one that they won. I wouldn't say comfortably, but they should have won this one much easier than they did. Um, now, and that's not to take anything away from ASU. I thought Jaden Daniels played a gutty game. Um, obviously not his best throwing it, but um, ran the ball really well, um, importantly. Um, but I, I thought USC was, I, you know, and as we expected, they were the more talented team and they just – and maybe that's a mentally soft team. Maybe you can make a roundabout argument about it being the head coach's fault. Um, because, of course, it is. It's Clay Helton. Um, <laughs> but but uh, once they got out of, you know, their own way, um, they, you know, were taking it to ASU pretty well. So It was like three minutes left. So three minutes left. USC's down 27-14. They're... It's fourth and 13 for the Trojans. And ESPN said they had like a 99.8 or 99.9% chance to lose the game. Like Arizona State was like a lock at that point. And then they throw a pass in the end zone. I'm on Ross St. Brown, maybe on purpose, maybe accidental, tips it, and it lands in Brew McCoy's arms, and they score a touchdown on that fourth down. They have a true freshman kicker, beat out like the, you know, the junior, senior kid or whatever that had a lot of you know clutch kicks in his lifetime. 
perfect execution on an onside kick, and they they recover it, and they go down and on a fourth and nine play, throw a touchdown that Trick London catches with his fingertips in traffic, and you know, low percentage play. That one works too. Kicks extra point. Boom, they win the game. I mean, it was pretty insane the way the last three minutes, the way they went. Uh, I was impressed with Arizona State. I thought they'd come out and look like a well-coached team, and they did. And, you know, I, I, I was a little disappointed. I thought Jaden Daniels could move the ball through the air a little more, but they controlled the game most of the way. They, they took advantage of the turnovers. Um, they turned it over twice, but then returned it over from USC, so they didn't give up any points off those turnovers. And uh, I thought they played a smart game, and I didn't feel like they were trying to, like, run out the clock. They were doing smart things, and then just, Everything came up aces for the Trojans at the end of the game and the talent on the field just shone through and where, you know, they were, they made a bunch of mistakes before. And, uh, that it was a gut wrenching one for Herm Edwards because I mean, he said afterwards, it was just like, you know, one of those ones you'll never forget. Um, really by the way that, you know, you look at the, 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 the entire game. Yeah. USC probably going to win the game, but you look at the way it played out. There's no way you <laughs> that game oh god end up with it yeah um i'm just saying like it it was actually a perfect like game an encapsulation of what the statistics should have done like because they were getting just i mean they they, all right so jack jones fumbles that punt return right and then they get the ball and then they fumble that one away too like it's it's like five possessions within the asu 30 that they just got nothing from um and it's just, you know, I mean, that's going to even out in the long run. And it just so happened that the long run encompassed the last three minutes of the game. <laughs> we both got this one right. Uh, USC was favored by 10 and a half. We both took Arizona State, but we yeah. both picked USC to win. Yeah, the game. So we got been, this one perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing has been more obvious than uh, USC not should not have been favored by double digits in this game. Yeah. I mean, her Edwards himself never like, you know, always within a touchdown. We know that. Um, cool. All right. Well, those are all the games. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and preview week two. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right. We're back here on the Parastyle podcast. No, we're not. No. We're on the podcast nope. of champions. I've there already done a Parastyle podcast today. And I got a show later tonight. So this is like a big show day for me. I got a live show. There's it's too much. Show I'm, day. I'm big show day. Too many things into one, uh, one deal. But we got to preview all of our week two games here in the Pac-12. And we got to 
couple early ones. So why don't we start with Colorado Buffalo? Heading up to the farm to take on Stanford Cardinal. We have such limited data here. Uh, 1230 on ESPN, uh, Colorado going to Stanford. Stanford is a six and a half point favorite. Um, so here's what we know about Colorado definitively. Jarek Broussard is, do I know if he's a good running back? I have no idea because UCLA, that's all. Just because just of UCLA. UCLA. Um, Sam Neuer uh, can complete passes. Um, he seems to like his tight end a lot. Um, is he good? Again, I do not know UCLA. He can run. I'm, I'm, yes, yes, he can. I'm pretty sure Colorado's secondary is not good. And the reason I know that is because UCLA was able to do things against that secondary, and that is proof positive that your unit is not good. If UCLA is able to do something against your particular unit, that means that unit is definitively bad. So Colorado's secondary, probably not good. Everything else about that team could be anywhere from not good to good. We do not know. Stanford, um, I, I feel okay about that running game. Okay. I, I'm not going to go further than that. Um, we don't know. Is Davis Mills def- definitively out this week? We don't know. We don't know. Um, I'm taking Colorado because I've seen, I, I think I have more definitive information about them. Um, and I, we saw Oregon's rushing attack do a pretty good job against Stanford. I think Colorado's is okay. I like that offensive line okay. I like Jarek Broussard. Um, Sam Neuer as a runner, I like. So I'll take Colorado on those points here. Um, I don't know if they win, but I think they keep it closer than six and a half. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing because, you know, you add a few mixed missed field goals in there and that six and a half is really like, <laughs> yes, you yes, know, so, yes. yeah. Uh, I mean, though, I will note uh, Colorado had a retirement from uh, James uh, Stefano. I want to say they're a longtime kicker. Um, he got hurt during the game, it sounds like, and uh, is now, I think, taking a taking a retirement. Yeah, I think uh, Adam Munster Tiger tweeted about him just how um, lovely he was to cover and just to someone he enjoyed covering. So, uh, good luck in your retirement, and uh, yeah, we'll see what the the Buffs can do. I yeah, I like the way they looked. Uh, I'm still not sold on Stanford, and I'm getting six and a half points, so I'm going to take Colorado. Pretty good chance that this is the the game that Stanford like looks really good in, and then. They're going to get some favorable lines down the road and and then we'll just hammer them for that. But I'll take the six and a half at this point. It's just when you don't have as much data, I'm take, I'm going to take you know almost a touchdown. I think I got to take that. I think there's a good enough chance that Colorado comes in and plays well. It actually you know gets a win on the road. Totally. All right. Next up, we have USC Trojans playing the opener for Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> This one's on at 1230 uh, on Fox. Arizona, USC is a two-touchdown favorite, 14 points. Um, I'm of, like, several minds about this. First, um, Arizona hasn't played. They're probably going to be eager and hungry to play. So that factors in. It's at home. That factors in. Um, Who's playing linebacker for Arizona? Is it you? (laughs) Okay, no. So, um... Anthony Pandy is good, right? Mm-hmm. I think outside of him, I think there's walk-ons. No, they're the too deep. I talked to Jason Shear today. Um, 
He said in the two deep, because they want to use four linebackers, there's likely going to be three walk-ons on the two deep. And they cool. want to rotate guys. But they might have to do more nickel. But then you're not really a 3-4. Now you're a 3-3-5, three, three, which is what they were running before, right? You, so. know, you know I'm on record as saying that USC has a brutal schedule this year. And it should, <laughs> you know, Clay Helton um, should get credit if he emerges two and four. And three and three, obviously, he should get an extension. You know I'm on record saying that. You are, yes. Um, this, though, never presented as one of those tough games. And as much as I am reluctant to pick USC as a heavy favorite in a game this season because of that brutal schedule they're dealing with, I am having a hard time seeing a situation where this one ends up close. Like, I'm having a really hard time with it. I think USC may be a little bit embarrassed after last week. I think they're going to be able to run all over this Arizona team. And who in that secondary is stopping that receiving core? I really have no idea. Um, Arizona is going to be marching up and down the field, even with our man Grant Gunnell there. So I'm going to take USC minus 14. I don't feel good about it, but I know it's going to be opposite you because you're never taking uh, USC in the points. You will. Yeah, I will go opposite. It's just, it's really hard because it is a road game. We don't know how this team's going to, you know, do they play a little bit weird? Um, is Arizona fired up or are they rusty as hell? Uh, I think the Arizona defensive line is going to be pretty good. They actually have some depth there. The, the, uh, there's a couple of good linebackers, but for the most part, like I said, there are some issues. And then, you know, the secondary, I think, is going to be all right. They got a good stable of running backs. They might be able to control the ball. Grant Gannell, you know, he's got a strong arm. Uh, the USC secondary did a good job. He's got, a, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. Uh, the secondary for USC did a great job against Jaden Daniels throwing the ball. They had a hard time stopping the run. And, and you know, our... our or strong arm Greg Gunnell's not really the the most fleet of foot. He's not, you know, he can run sometimes, but not like he's not a runner. He can uh, run the way you or I can run. Right. But not like a Jaden Daniels can run or something. So it's really tough. I mean, I, I kind of think USC is going to go in and, and boat race them, but that's 14 points. And so I'm going to, like I said, there's so many uncertainties. There's so many unknowns. I'm going to take the, uh, the 14 and just see if I can hang on. <laughs> All right. I love it. Nice. All right. Uh, this one could be pretty good. We have Oregon Ducks going on the road to take on Washington State Cougars. Yes, yeah, so this is on at 4 p.m. on Fox, number 11, Oregon now going on the road at Washington State. Oregon is a 10-point favorite um, over the Cougs, which ooh, seems like a lot of respect for Washington State after the win over Oregon State, which I get. Um, I think... You know, that Washington State offense certainly showed that it's not going to be a disaster in year one. Or, yeah, year one under um, Nick Rolovich. You know, they're going to hit the ground a little bit running. Um, but still, I would say Oregon kind of outclasses them from a talent standpoint on both sides of the ball. Um, it's a tough one. Ten points feels like it's rightly set. Like, it feels like it's, you know, pretty close to what I would have wanted to predict. Um I'll go, you know, because Oregon did have some issues kind of just getting it going to start the game. They had some turnover issues. Um, maybe the new quarterback in an unfriendly environment. It, it, it's going to be an empty stadium, but you know what I mean. Um, I'll go Washington State plus 10. I mean, I think so, Oregon wins, but yeah, I'll go plus 10, Washington State. You sound really confident. Um, I don't want to put too much stock into what I saw 
last weekend, which I was impressed with what Washington State was able to do. But I just feel like there's, you know, Oregon had some rust. They got to wipe it off. Uh, Washington State came out and start, started playing pretty well. And then, you know, Oregon State kind of came on late. Um, if Oregon State Washington State played tomorrow, I, I would hope that Oregon State would play better and would actually, like, have a lead a lot of the time. I think Oregon's going to come in there and, and I, you know, 10 seems right, but I can see, you know, a 14-point win or a 17-point win. So I'm going to take uh, the Ducks in this one. It's tough. That's a lot of points. Giving up double-digit points when there's so many unknowns. But I will go opposite you and take the Ducks and see how they fare out in the Palouse. Uh, all right. Next up, we've got California Golden Bears. They're on the road taking on Arizona State Sun Devils. So all you losers and whiners complaining about the 9 a.m. game last week, congratulations. There are three games that are taking place after 730. It's great. Great. Good work, everyone. Whiners and losers. Babies. <laughs> um, all right. This is the first one. Uh, it's on ESPN2, Cal going at ASU. Uh, ASU is a four-point favorite. Um, we've seen ASU. We have not seen Cal. Um, nothing has really changed with my estimation of ASU um, based off that first game. I They kind of looked exactly how I thought they would, and I still don't know about Cal. So what you're really requiring me to do here is think about what I predicted in the preseason. And I think I predicted an ASU win. But would I have predicted an ASU win by four? Certainly not. Because this is a classic good against good game, and this is Herm Edwards winning by three. So give me Cal in those points. So you're going with Cal, huh? Um, oh, yeah, baby. I'm going to agree with you here because th- I'm not sure. That was heartbreaking for Herm Edwards and his crew. They're returning home. I think they put a lot into that USC game. And when you put a lot into something like that, and then you're like, basically you have it won and then lose it at the end. I think there's an emotional component there too. I think Cal's going to have an emotional component. They really wanted to play Washington. So I think you're going to see if the game pl- is played, a fired up Cal team and it's more than a field goal. So, I mean, I could see this being a close game either way. You're giving me four points. I'm going to take Cal and those points and, uh, and see how they fare in Tempe. All right. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Utah Utes. And they'll be at the Rose Bowl taking on UCLA Bruins. Yeah, it's another 7.30 game on Fox. Uh, Utah at UCLA. Utah's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. This game probably isn't going to be played. But in the event it is, we haven't seen Utah yet. Um, looking at that team, they're returning basically two starters on defense, um, some more on offense. But it's going to be a little bit tricky figuring out what they're going to do defensively. Um, we don't know how many players are going to play for Utah. If you're taking it on face that if they play this game, more than likely they'll have enough guys that it's not going to be too weird. Um, so if they play, I'm assuming most of these guys will be available. Um, but that defense, even if you acknowledge that it's mostly new, it's still going to be a Utah defense. Maybe a little bit lack of depth on the defensive line, but they've still got two huge defensive tackles who've played a lot of games. They're not starters, but they've played a lot of games. And the returning two guys that end who have played, who have started games, you know, Max Dupai and uh, Mika Tafua, I want to say, um, who have both started games. Tafua started most of last year. And then Devin Lloyd at linebacker, still really good. Um, and then the secondary, it's, retur- it's returning no one and no starts. Um, but they're starting, 
you know, Clark Phillips, who is basically the best recruit out of high school Utah's probably ever had. Um, Nate Ritchie at safety, who's another true freshman. These guys might take their lumps, but they're not. It's not like you. It's not like plugging in just random true freshmen that Utah might have had to do, you know, ten years ago. It's these are talented dudes. Um, it's like when USC starts a true freshman. You know, Clark Phillips is that kind of level of player. So I don't know that they're going to suddenly be bad defensively. I think they're actually going to be okay. Um, and then offensively, I think they'll be fine. Uh, UCLA uh, are, is definitively bad. So if this game actually gets played, I think Utah wins this one going away. So I'll take Utah minus three and a half. Uh, yeah, three and a half is just not. Uh, I, I, this would have to be like 10 points or something before I start. I don't think Utah's going to play. So I know the reports this week. I don't think they're going to play if it's walk-ons. Like if walk-ons are having to start for Utah, I don't think they're playing. But in the situation where they're actually allowed to play, that means guys got cleared. Is my guess. Yeah. My read of the situation. And if that happens, Utah should be favored by more than three and a half. Yeah. So UCLA plus three and a half. That's nice. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think if, if the game is played, if it's a situation where we get to see Utah travel to the Rose Bowl and play a game, it's going to be, you know, Utah's probably going to win by more than that, just from what I saw over UCLA over the weekend. So, um, yeah. So we'll both agree there and we'll take the Utes. And uh, lay the three and a half. And we got one uh, game left. We have Oregon State Beavers. They'll be in Seattle taking on Washington Huskies. So this is an 8 p.m. game on Fox Sports 1. Oregon State traveling to Washington. Washington's a 13 and a half point favorite, um, which... Uh, that's a tough one for me because I still think Oregon State's going to be fine. Um, I think the initial, you know, I I think they really just kind of struggled at the beginning of that Washington State game and then they played better. Um, so I don't know. I just don't, I don't really know what to expect from Washington. If it's going to be the same kind of, you know, structure games being called the same way as the Chris Peterson era, then 13 and a half points feels high. Um, if they're, you know, coaching up to their talent level a little bit more, particularly on offense, then maybe, you know, they could blow them out. I don't know, but Oregon state's, you know, I think Jonathan Smith, as much as anyone probably has a good feel for what Washington likes to do, even with the kind of changeover, um, on both sides of the ball. So let me, I'll, I'll say Oregon state plays it relatively close, um, and keeps it under the 13 and a half. So give me Oregon state. Yeah, I just, it- in these uncertain times, it's the double digit stuff is really tough for me. Like I, I felt confident Oregon is with a 10.1. Okay. That's okay. But like USC at 14, Washington 13 and a half. It's like, yeah, those teams could roll and they could win by 21 or something, but that's going to be tough. So Washington hasn't played yet. We saw Oregon state play a little better in the second half. So maybe we'll go with the, I'll go with the beeves. It's just, that's just a lot of points. And, you can kind of feel like, all right, well, I got 13 enough points. It, there's there's a decent chance it stays within that. Right. All right. Well, those are all our picks. Uh, we got to get to some questions. All um, right. I think we start with Paul. He's Webfoot. And he says, my favorite IPAs. None. IPAs are trash. If you like them, you are bad and you should feel bad. Uh, also, talking about fishing is bad. So he's he's not happy with us. I don't mind IPAs. Like I, I like drinking, but no, I like other beers. But but this is my thing about IPAs is there is nothing fundamentally superior about them compared to like literally any other like 
I don't know, boutique beer. And frankly, the difference between boutique type beer and like your average piss, like just the Bud Light or whatever that you scram out of a trash can, it's not as big as you guys are thinking. Like it's sure, like a friggin' dogfish head tastes better than, you know, Coors Light. But is it that much better? Like, is it, you're still kind of drinking something that tastes like it's an armpit, right? Like, it's a beer. It's 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 an acquired taste for a reason, because it doesn't taste good. You're not drinking it because it tastes good. You're drinking it because it makes your head fuzzy. That's the reason you drink. <laughs> I like again, my ambers, again, I like my no, reds. No, no, you, know? you like it because they taste better than the other ones, but not because it's objectively a good taste in your mouth. It doesn't taste like, again, I go back to my theory about this whole thing. Chocolate milk. If you were just drinking for tra- for taste, you would be drinking chocolate milk all day long, every day, because it tastes great, right? I had a hot chocolate this morning. It was good. Yeah, because it tastes good. Yeah. But you're not, because the main reason you're drinking is not it's 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 not the taste. The taste is you're you're convincing yourself of the taste so that you can do it, or you're comparing it to other items that do the thing that you actually want it to do, which is get your head bad. All right. Well, he, he goes on complaining. Uh, talk about playoff expansion. It is also bad, not because it shouldn't be expanded, but because you guys are arguing the same two points back and forth for hours on end, strewn across many podcasts. And it needs to end, just like the Civil War generals and Disney princesses ended. Oh, speaking of, have you watched Mandalorian yet? I haven't watched I it. I haven't. I'm, I'm saving them up. Okay. I'll probably save them up too. Um, okay. Speaking of bad things, Chip Kelly is bad. He saw some someone else's system implemented it with great success. And as a duck, I will always be grateful, but it was just someone else's ideas at just the right time in order to prove to himself that he is a good coach. He attempted to replicate his success by using a system he made up himself and it isn't working. Chip doesn't have to be bad. Although running Oregon's old offense won't solve everything, but he needs to show the world and himself that he can do it again with only his own ideas and with no more energy put into recruiting that he put in at Oregon. It failed in the NFL. It's failing at UCLA. And until he's willing to end his quest to prove himself to himself, he will never live up to his potential and a probably decent power five slash group of five. I'm sorry, as a probably decent power five slash group of five coach. Also IPAs are bad. Paul Webfoot. I appreciate the like sentiment. I don't, I think it, it, it strikes me as a little bit simplistic um, to say that he, I think the reality is he was very good. I think he had a lot of his own ideas that he brought into that thing. Nobody else was really running that, like what he was doing until he was doing it. Yeah. So I don't think that it's, I don't think it's completely fair to him to say that was entirely someone else's ideas. And he just kind of took the keys and ran with it. Um, but that makes what's happening now even more bizarre um, that he did have a really good idea once. Um, and now he is trying to, I think most of what you said in the back half of this paragraph is right. Like he is trying to do something different to prove something to himself, the NFL, somebody, um, that he can do it a different way too. Um, but I, I'm with you. I don't think he would necessarily be stacking national title titles if he was running a blur or a souped up version of the blur or some modernized version of the blur or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but would it be better than what it is right now? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it sure as hell would be. Even if you just take it as, would that be more of a fit for the quarterback and the offensive line he has? Um, yeah, it just it, it just fundamentally would be. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think there's some reality to this. I just don't, and I know people who follow Oregon are probably going to be more in tune with what's going on up there. But Oregon, I mean, from my perspective of watching Oregon games at the time, they weren't doing anything like what Chip Kelly brought there in 2007 with Dennis Dixon before that. I mean, it was it was good, but it wasn't that. Um, and then it got even more that in 2009 when he took over as the head coach. So he truly was an innovator, and uh, I think he's just passed his sell-by date. I think his passion for everything has slowed um, considerably. Um, I think there is something to the reality that um, it's only for a few different you know, truly elite coaches that um, their fire remains the same forever. You know, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, they just want to keep doing it and crushing, probably because they've got a little bit of something wrong with their brain, right? Um, But for, I think, some other people, you know, you might have the one period where you can be truly great, and then it's hard to get over that hump again. Um, It's like somebody, you know, you do a really good job at one job, and then you go get a new job and you're never the same guy again. You're yeah. not as eager to do the different things. Um, you have to be internally driven in such a way. And I don't know that Chip Kelly is. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of factors playing in there. But certainly he is bad. And it's been bad now for a while. All right. All right. Um, next up, this is from Dave from, I pronounced this at one point correctly, but I don't I don't know how to pronounce it anymore. Sigoim? Something like that? Uh, sure. I don't know. Calvidicament. 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 Uh, why does missing one position group this year make Cal cancel a game when they played the last two seasons without an offense? Can I get a can I get a rim shot? Uh we can give you uh, I, I need a but I don't have one. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it was one positive test. With such strict rules, does Cal Stanford play any games this year? What about the rest of the Pac-12? Over under for each team's number of games played. Uh, rank Disney Prince. Okay, so over under for each team's number of games played. I'm going to set all of them, besides Cal and Utah, at four. Wow. Okay. And Cal and Utah will be at three. Are they playing each other this year? No, they're not. So maybe they're all at four. Maybe they're all at four. Okay. All right. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably safe. I, th- I mean, I could maybe go four and a half and see, like, are you going to get five? Or are you going to get, you know, five or six? Or are you going to get less than that? So yeah. the problem is if you get less than five or six, there might be like two. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> totally. All right. Um, we are going to speed round over the next 20 minutes because uh, Ryan has going to have to go. Um, so. Uh, Dave also asked about Disney princesses. How would they handle COVID? Um, <laughs> we already talked about the, the cow stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cinderella is kind of reclusive. I mean, she has to mate around all day. So I think she'd be kind of homebound, um, except for the ball, which is, uh, that could be a super spreader event. Um, but she only really goes out once. So it's quantity plus, um, the events themselves. So I think she would be relatively safe. Um, bell being trapped in a mansion with just like a single person and a bunch of animate objects that most likely cannot transmit COVID. I think that would be significant, right? I think she'd be okay. Um, Elsa certainly would be fine. 
um, because she builds an ice castle for herself off in the wilderness. And before that is shut up in her own house for like literally her entire childhood. Um, so I think she would be in pretty good shape. Um, the Aladdin one would be screwed, right? You get there's people. Jasmine like would be okay, but then she like mixes with the hoi polloi after a little while. Yeah, and, and once you go and out and yeah. yeah, you can't do that. So I don't think she, I think she would be bringing it back um, to everyone. Aladdin, Jafar, the whole crew. Um, so that wouldn't be good. Mulan, little, obviously. Little Mermaid. Oh, I'm sorry. Go little, little Mermaid. So here's underwater. The thing. Her, her decision making is obviously poor because she elects. <laughs> to get legs to go up and mix with people. Um, we don't know about the transmission among mermaids, but we know for a fact that people transmit COVID pretty well. Um, so obviously she's not a good decision maker. I think that would be trouble. Mulan, um, she leaves her family to go hang out in an army camp, um, which oh. again, that's probably not a good decision in a time of transmission. I think in either venue, she might have trouble, uh, but certainly in the army camp, I think she's more susceptible. Um, Pocahontas, way too interested in hanging out with the incoming Europeans, you know, people from other areas. You don't want to mix with uh, groups coming in. Uh, you want to stick in your in your kind of tight circles. So she's in trouble. Um, yeah, I think your your best contenders there are probably Belle, Elsa. Um, yeah, I think I think Elsa obviously is the uh, one taking the cake here because about- she's like nat- naturally wanting to build an ice castle and be by herself. What about Rapunzel? Well, Rapunzel, again, she's way too eager to get out. So if we're talking about Rapunzel prehistory, like before the start of the movie, sure, I think she'd be fine. But if we're talking about, you know, in media res during that entire movie, Uh, um, you know, which is the time we've seen her, I mean, she's hanging out in a bar with a bunch of people, singing with them, and singing is one of those activities. And this is frankly true of all of them, but certainly for her. Uh, singing is one of those activities that can certainly spread. And if people are singing to you, which a lot of these group numbers show, uh, then there's real odds that you could get it. So I think Belle, she's often singing just with a single person, the Beast. Um, so I think she would be okay. I think Elsa would probably be okay. But the ones who are singing in groups, I mean, that's one of the worst activities you can have. Gotcha. There'll be a lot of little dwarves that were getting the COVID. Okay. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Let's go to Hitler Day. Puma particle color. Hmm, whatever that is. Okay. As it, as is widely known, the three things Wazoo fans enjoy best and are most experienced with are cheap booze in excess, cheese that comes in a dip tin, and debating the finer points of the term Kugdit. This weekend provided three teachable games as to their last point, which I ask you boys, assistance in judging. So number one, did the Sun Devils Kugit against the Trojans? I think that's a cooking. I think they cooked it. I think that was is, like is you that clearly had it. So which ones? Which ones is which one is cleansing and which one is cooking it? Is cooking it when you're ranked and you come in and then you lose, or is cooking it where you you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? I thought it was the latter. Um, okay, cleansing's then so. the other one where you come in ranked and then you blow it in a game where you otherwise should have won. I believe so. Got it. Yeah. Um, that's the only one of these that's cooking it. So, the Bruins did not cook it against the Buffs, and the Beavs did not cook it against the Cougs. Yeah, the Beavs didn't cook. I mean, the Cougs just won that game. Um, and UCLA, I mean, the Buffs just won that game. But I would say that the, with— The Buffs the, were just simply better, which is something that you might have been able to predict before the game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I would say with the Sun Devils, even though you would say USC is a better team, 
the Sun Devils had that game and they should have won it. And they, they, they saw, they found somehow they found defeat when victory was all around them. Right. All right. This is from John and Bram. Pandemic. Dear Ryan and Dave, Saturday was fantastic. Terry Broad, Bradshaw and the gang hyping up the day's action on Fox. Clay Helton's magical run continues with a situational mastery and full display in front of an empty Coliseum. UCLA coming up just short of an amazing comeback, but proves they belong on the field with Colorado. <laughs> Clemson goes to Notre Dame with their Heisman favorite quarterback out with COVID-19, but don't worry, he still made the trip and will be on the sideline. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Berkeley and Salt Lake City, games were canceled due to a player testing positive. An empty Autzen Stadium at night is clearly established as one of the most depressing places to play a college football game. Notre Dame pulls off the upset, and the thousands of students who stopped social distancing in the stands around the third quarter all stormed the field. The only thing that would have made them that could have made that look worse is if they had all arrived for the game on motorcycles. Which leads me to my question. What the heck is going on here? Why is college football being played? This is nuts. And I can't wait for next week's games. John and Brea. Well yes. done. Yes, uh, exactly, John. Why is it being played? This is nuts. And yes, we cannot wait for next week's games. Is it one of those things where, like, we you talked about your friends jump off a bridge and would you too? But it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like an avalanche that's going down this mountain and and you know, most everyone's on it somehow. Like you're, you're just, you're rolling down the hill and like, Oh, they're rolling down the hill. I'll roll down the hill. Everyone's sort of going. And then you sort of look around like, what are we doing here? You know, um, <laughs> it's all very stupid. <laughs> it's all extremely dumb, but I do love watching it. I love watching. I it love it. Before. I love it so much. God, how uh, I love it. So, yeah. All right. Uh, questions. This is from, uh, Oliver. He says, gentlemen, uh, I took a few months off from the podcast after my inner Dave took over and convinced me there wouldn't be a football season. Thankfully, I purged those horrible thoughts from my system, and we are back. Technically, we're only 67% back, but who is counting? Giving the untimely passing of the amazing Alex Trebek, I figured I'd send you guys some Jeopardy-style questions about our beloved conference as a tribute. It's important to note for the Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon fans who might be listening Jeopardy is a game show where contestants who read books without pictures in them are tested about their knowledge of various subjects. You probably know it as an annoying show that came on between Judge Judy and The Bachelor in Paradise. Uh, So he was taking a shot at Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon fans. Very nice. Um, Usually it's like Wheel of Fortune next to that, right? I think it usually is. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the answers... Uh, I don't know how, okay. So oh, we have to scroll down. Okay. For $200, $200, the university received the most, uh, this university received the most admissions applications in the world last year. I know the answer to that one. You UCLA. Do. UCLA. Uh, it is. Um, all right. right. I'll, I'll, we'll alternate. I'll, I'll ask you that one. Okay. Are, we, are you looking at the answers? I haven't yet. No. Okay. Uh, for $400. This university is the only one in the conference that permanently houses live bears on campus. Um, Jesus, what would that, I mean, I don't think it would also be UCLA. Uh, it's got to be remote. It's got to be like a, a remote one, like a Utah or a Corvallis or a Pullman. You got to uh, make a pick. I'll go Utah, I guess. Okay. Uh, you want to ask me the next one? Yeah. This university offers the only bachelor bachelor's degree in law in the country. Mm, that feels like an Arizona thing to do. Okay. Uh, eight, for 800, 
These four universities are in the top 50 universities worldwide for having the most affiliated Nobel laureates. Four universities. So that's, you have to name four. Okay, what you are name the, you got to name the good universities in the uh, in the league? The four good ones. I'll do what are I'll do the California schools. What are Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA? Uh, <clears throat> the four good ones. Uh, what I say? Cal, Stanford, USC, and UCLA. Yeah, yeah, and the, but you got to name the four good ones in the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, I just gotcha. No, right. no, no. Or, but you're, you're you're missing one. What am I missing? Your name, your name, and one that's not good. Oh well, we'll see. Uh, for one thousand, this university named one of its dining halls after a famous cannibal. Okay, that's got to be Donner Party, right? Ooh. They came over the Rockies, so it's either Utah or Colorado. I'm going to go Colorado. Okay. Let's look down. All right. So for 200, it was UCLA with receiving the most admissions applications in the world last year. For 400, the only one how, uh, housing live bears, you said Utah, it was Washington State. For oh. 600, the university offers the only bachelor's degree in law in the country. It was indeed Arizona. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Good job. And for 800 bucks, the four universities in the top 50 universities worldwide from the most affiliated Nobel laureates, Cal, Stanford, and UCLA, you had correct. And then Washington, because That's USC is, is not one of the best four. Well, they said Arizona, Colorado, and USC are ranked between 50 and 100. So they were up yeah. there, too. Yeah. So I got yeah. three of the top seven, four of the top seven. And the dining hall after the famous cannibal was indeed Colorado. So I got nice. all three of mine correct. That's pretty good. But well, one bad. of them, I had to name four. Jeez. One was a pure guess. Like, the bachelor's degree in law. Like, I knew that the famous cannibal had to be probably Donner, and it had to be one of the first, uh, the two in the Rockies. But yeah. bachelor's degree in law. Hell yeah, Arizona. Pretty Hell good. Yeah. And he said, uh, fire Larry Scott into the sun, Oliver. P.S. Larry Scott's professional tennis record was 1-18. in 18. Yep. Nice. All right. This is from Dan. Uh, Colorado versus UCLA. Hey, Ryan and Dave. While I have not always agreed with your assessments of the Pac-12 teams and their state of being, I really enjoy listening to Pac-12 coverage in the podcast while I'm at work at the fire station or mowing the lawn since the Pac-12 network doesn't cover the conference anymore. <laughs> a couple of questions. Uh, first, I had a chance to watch the CU-UCLA game last Saturday and found it troubling reading reactions of UCLA fans and analysts like yourself giving little to no credit for what the Buffs were able to do on offense which was move the ball at will, compiling 525 yards of offense while still leaving 12 points by my estimates on the field. Everything I saw basically said the buffs were still horrible and the loss that UCLA suffered was due to an inept coach and horrid recruiting. Doesn't CU deserve at the minimum a big chunk of the credit, manhandling the trenches and running will against that defense. Um, so I'll answer that one first. Yeah, totally. Um, you got to understand, like, our perspective on it is kind of what I said earlier, coming at it from UCLA's third year under Chip Kelly, it's just, it's disastrous that it's in this state where it, and this is, I'm not trying to take anything away from Colorado. It's just UCLA in third year under Chip Kelly still being in a position where all it can do is, is maybe play an even game against a team that everyone was expecting to be in a complete rebuild this year is it's a disaster. So that's where the focus is. If you're going to read it from any kind of UCLA analyst perspective, because the whole thing for UCLA this offseason was that they were going to revamp the defense. They were bringing in this guy from Navy who was going to, you know, install this 425 nickel defense that was going to, you know, be gangbusters or whatever. 
And it turns out that no, it's just piss again. Like it's, and that's not to take anything away from Buffalo, uh, from from the Buffs because they made it look like piss. Um, some offenses maybe wouldn't have been able to, um, but that still has to be the narrative about UCLA this year so far. Um, and if you're reading from a UCLA perspective, that's going to be it, especially in the opener when we don't have any context. Um, we'll know a lot more about Colorado once they played a few games. Um, but the thing we know is that UCLA's defense did not suddenly become good. Um, that's the thing we know definitively now. And that yep. was the expectation on UCLA's end. Um, and then schematically, uh, Colorado was lost on uh, defense in the second half, and UCLA was able to identify that and exploit it. But the damage was done, and the Buffs dominated in most statistical categories. Don't they deserve something? Uh, last, when will the leadership pull the plug on Champagne Larry? I thought it would have been done by now with how poorly he has managed the conference, the network, and only looked after his own interests. Thanks, yeah, I don't uh, know. Thanks, Your Dan. <laughs> We're hoping. Um, yeah, no, we we got, got to give Colorado a lot of credit. I mean, the, we with the defense – bringing a lot of stars back. I thought they played well. You know, they were, they gave some points up at the end there, but the, the offense was way better. You know, having a, an inexperienced quarterback who played safety last year, you know, completing some passes, running all over the UCLA defense that, you know, you have to give the buffs a lot of credit because they, that was not easy the way they had to prepare with no spring ball. And, you know, you get Carl Durrell coming in and doesn't even know players that, you know, a few months ago, didn't know all the players. And now, you know, they're, they're winning a game right out of the gate. That was impressive. And, for Larry Scott, I mean, his contract's up 2022, so I think sometime after, you know, probably in 2021, we're going to hear something about either, like, I, I don't think they're going to fire him. I think it's going to be more of a, they'll agree to part ways, they'll let him, you know, exit on his own terms, but they need someone in there to negotiate the new contract, and I think I think people realize that at this point. Let's go to uh, Spring Ball. Casey from Tacoma. I don't have Twitter, so I can only imagine David's splendor of enjoyment knowing both teams with first-year coaches and no Spring Ball winning this weekend. As a Coug fan, pie-in-the-sky aspirations. If the Cougs win out, they have arguably the most difficult schedule of any Pac-12 team. Do you think they have an argument to make the college football playoff? Here's to hoping an Ewok slaps the shit out of Chip Kelly and go Cougs. Casey from Tacoma. If, I, if, yeah, go ahead. I think they would. I mean, you, the crossover game is if you're trying to make the college football playoff, you'd rather have a really good crossover game. Cause if you win, say USC is undefeated, that's just, I mean, you need as many feathers in your cap as possible. And if your crossover games, the bottom team from the other conference, that's not going to help. So yeah, I think they, their schedule is tough enough that if they run the table and they look good doing it, which means, you know, winning by more than 10 points against Oregon State. Uh, you know, why not? As if they get to play all their games and all that, too. I mean, but th there's enough chaos in the rest of the country that that's possible. Oh, I would I would go a step further. I think any Pac-12 team that wins undefeated and plays all of its games this year is going to the playoff. Um, there's already been I mean, the Big 12 is basically decimated. They're not getting a team in um, the SEC, whatever. They'll get one. ACC gets one. Um, and then Big Ten gets one. But I think that's still, again, going back to my like theory from months ago, I, I think this is one year where they're going to be predisposed to try to be fair and just kind of even it out and not have like three teams from a single league in there if they can. Um, so a situation where an undefeated Pac-12 team plays all seven games and emerges undefeated, which, again, I don't think is likely this year because I don't think all the games are going to be played. But if that happens, if Washington State is 7-0, yeah, they're getting in. Oh, yeah. I like it. Well, there's some group of five teams that are undefeated. Cincinnati, BYU. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, 
And yeah, with yeah. Notre Dame winning, you know, the ACC could have an argument for two. Uh, the, you know, the SEC could with Florida. So, yeah, we'll see. But I, yeah, I think you got you got to go. I think you got to be impressive, though. And it's going to take some chaos. And we're getting some chaos. So that's a, that's a good thing. Yep. All right. This is um, from Eric in Philadelphia. Berkeley health officials, based on the way the local health authorities are treating uh, COVID cases and contact tracing at Cal, did the Pac-12 schedule makers likely give Oregon another open week right before the UW game? Cue conspiracy theories from Husky fans. Keep up the good work and all hail, baby Yoda. Nice. Uh, yeah. So if you're looking at Washington, no wait. So that uh, well, that what Washington played. We're supposed to play Cal this weekend. So what was he saying? That, uh, He's Oregon, saying because because Cal has um, Oregon has Cal the week. Oh, uh, Oregon has Cal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the Oregon Washington game. Yeah. Oregon has Cal. Okay. I got you. I was looking at the Washington schedule. So. Um, I don't think that helps or I don't think if you're trying to make the college football playoff, you don't want to open week before why, I mean, you want to play everyone and you have to have an ch- opportunity to beat them. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, but I wouldn't say that's, uh, that's the schedule makers doing, but man, that's, you need it. Like that's the problem. Like if Oregon wants to make it or Washington state wants to make it when they play Cal and it, the game doesn't happen, it's a lot harder to go, you know, 7-0 looks a lot better than 6-0. You want to get as many games as possible, so that would be a tough one. Right. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's all our questions, huh? It was beautiful. Uh, good we did stuff. them all. We managed it. With two minutes to spare, Ryan. With yeah. two minutes to spare. I know. I got to get on the road. But we'll, uh, yeah, we'll hopefully all enjoy a fun weekend of, uh, of college football. Uh, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that it happens. Uh, I, we don't know if it will, but we're we're hoping it does. Um, we're crossing our fingers. Do you, at the end of the day, okay. Before we go into this, any teams are they going to uh, get the games canceled this weekend? Are, are all six going to play? What do you think? There are absolutely going to be some cancellations. I would predict at least one, which is the Utah UCLA game. And I wouldn't be shocked again if Cal is canceled. Wow. And who knows? Maybe there's some wild card. So I would say my guess, my gut instinct is that most four games are played. All right. I'm going to go out a limb and say all six are played. They're going to play Look them all. Look at you. Just a, just a bright-eyed optimist. I'm going to be optimistic about this. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, I am Ryan Abraham. He is David Woods. We are the Podcast of Champions. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.